Hey guys, and welcome to Fika with Rice, a podcast about life hacks, inspirational life stories, routines, and keys to success. I'm your host, Frederick Van Hoon, and each week I meet some of the most incredible people in the world from self-made millionaires, best-selling authors, experts, and world-class athletes. My goal is to extract their wisdom, mindset, tools, so you can use them in your daily life, but above all, to inspire you. Let's get this Fika started. Welcome to episode 15 by Fika with Rice. This week we meet the Conmary expert Patty Morrissey. She's one of the first certified Conmary consultants in the world outside of Japan. She's an awesome lifestyle and organizing consultant. In this episode we learn what life KPIs are, how you can maximize your personal space and how anyone can become organized at home and in their workplace. A wonderful episode on how you can spark more joy wherever you are in the world. This is Patty's story. Let's go. Patty, welcome to Fika with Rice. I'm really excited to have you here, partly because I'm a huge fan of Marie Kondo. And a fun story, when my wife is very annoyed at me when I'm organizing, decluttering at home, she calls me Freddy Kondo. So thank you for being here with me. <laughs> Freddy <laughs> Kondo. That's, story. <laughs> now that's what I'm, I'm going to have to call you from now on. That's amazing. <laughs> okay. Patty, you're a mother, entrepreneur, coach, lifestyle and organizing organizing consultant, and you've been called a guru of tidiness by the New York Times. What do you answer when people ask you, what do you do? Oh, boy, that's really hard. I am still working on the elevator pitch. But ultimately, I help people connect with their true nature and bring that to life and bring that out into the world. Uh, that's that would be like if I met you on the street or in an elevator. Well, or well, in my in 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 the grocery store, I would I would have a conversation about it. I would say, you know how some people feel lost sometimes, and they don't know who they are, or they're shy, or they feel disconnected, or they want more from life. I help people get more out of life, and that's how I would talk about it. It's hard to bottle it up into a job title, like. I think the closest thing is a life coach, but in this day, life coach is sort of code for unemployed. So I don't love talking about it like that. You know, it's not even a joke, you know, <laughs> it's true. You know, It's true. So I just try to connect with people and, and create a little experience for them so that they can see right there in the moment what it's like to have someone really see you and listen to you and bring out your gifts. I love that. We're going to talk a little bit about that. I have a few questions regarding that. It's going to be it's going to be cool. But leading up to this conversation, I did some research and I wanted to speak about this and found out that having an organized and decluttered environment at home makes you feel better. And I know that you're a specialist in that. Why is that? <laughs> it does make us feel better. And the primary reason I believe is not really the aesthetics of a place, although that's part of it when you look at of the broken window theory, when one thing is left undone or you leave a mess, then it just kind of cascades and balloons. I don't know about you, but when I'm having one of those weeks and I, it always starts in the sink, right? As soon as the sink is full, then the rest of the house just goes, goes to hell. But if you can maintain that, then you're sending a signal that I'm someone who cares about my environment. I'm someone who respects my belongings. I'm someone who treats things with purpose and therefore my myself and my life with purpose. So it's a little thing, but it's really a big thing. 
The other reason I think it feels so good to have an organized space, because all of these little objects that are, are hanging out around the house that don't have a home or they represent something that's undone, that is an open file. And the more open files we have sitting in our brain, the more stress we feel. So when I'm going through someone's home and decluttering, it's really just going and trying to shut as many open files as we can. Let's just make a decision. Are you going to actually get this skirt hemmed and fixed or not? And so just let's make a decision instead of having it sitting there on your dresser, nagging at you. It's not just the skirt sitting on the dresser. It's all of the tasks associated with it. And then it's nagging at you. And you can imagine that's just one little thing. And when you're looking around, that's what you see is just all the things that are on your plate that you have to do. So it feels so good to close those out. I'm curious, Patty, like I obviously I see behind you, you have like, uh, <laughs> it's super tidy, you know? It's okay. Uh, uh, you can, there's some piles over here next to me. But okay, I, I don't see I those. But okay. Uh, but, you know, I consider myself a quite tidy and organized person. But why do you think some people are not, you know? Well, I know. I mean, I'm one, I'm a recovering messy person myself. I think it's a modern problem. This having so much access to so much stuff that so cheaply, this is a new problem that our grandparents really didn't have to contend with. So this skill of dealing with all of, all of this stuff, it, we need to learn it now. We just have too much, too much access, too much exposure. And it's not just physical clutter, but there's access to information, access to people. You can keep in touch with everyone you've ever met. And so when you think about your contacts list, that needs to get decluttered. There's the skill now is a skill of, of curating your life intentionally and learning how to edit. It's true. We definitely have more material belongings than our grandparents. I mean, I've even like my own grandparent grandmother who who I who I have in in Cambodia. You know, like she doesn't have as many belongings as as us younger people. You know, mm-hmm. do you think that it's a materialistic issue? Yeah, it it is a materialistic issue. It's the volume of things that are. In our lives, it's also the marketing that's associated with it. You know, every T-shirt from the Gap is essential. Everything is a must-have, and so all of that programming starts to affect us as well. And so we have these things. I also think it's an issue of identity. We want to become someone, and it's easier to buy something that helps us feel like we're that someone versus doing the work of becoming that someone. When I'm helping people declutter, it's really unpacking all of that, of who do you want to be in the world? What were you hoping for? What were you you striving for when you purchased this thing? And let's start living that life versus just accumulating the stuff. It's it's a very deep answer. Thank you, (laughs) Terry. What's the most common misconception about organization and decluttering your life, you would say? A lot of people, when they say they're good at organizing or good at decluttering, they're great at throwing things away and they're scanning their environment for things to get rid of. The KonMari method and why I'm so drawn to it is really it's an act of choosing what you want. And so when I'm scanning someone's environment and helping them go through their things, I say, you know, assume it's all going away. And I want you to choose what's worth keeping, what supports you right now. And so that's, 
I think a big mindset shift for people when it comes to organizing. They're not there. People are so afraid to lose something that they value. And so you can keep everything that you want that you value. So we're just reorienting and making it more of a positive frame of mind. And that really starts to shape how you see the world. You're scanning what, what do I want to notice? What do I want to appreciate? What do I want to feel gratitude for? Versus looking at all this stuff thinking like, oh, it's in my way. It's bogging me down. Yeah, it is true. That's uh, I've seen and I've read the book as well on Marie Kondo, you know, and I like that concept a lot of really yes. choosing the things that you have a, an emotional connection and why and just the selected items, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why do you think most people fail then to organize themselves and declutter their desks and homes, you would say? Um, why do people struggle? I think people don't realize how hard it's going to be. It's hard. And that's all oftentimes why people don't ask for help. They don't think I shouldn't have to hire a consultant to help me throw things away because it should just, it's so simple. It's just, do I want it or not? And put it in a garbage bag. Why, why is that so hard? It's hard because you're unpacking all of the things that I was sharing earlier around identity and broken promises. And it's really overwhelming. There's a lot of shame and guilt involved in the money that you spent. and the life that you've lived. So the things that we have sitting in our home environment are reflective of past lives of what I call micro seasons. And there's a grieving that's associated with that when you realize I don't need these baby clothes anymore. You have to accept that your child has grown up. When you get rid of certain hobby equipment, you have to accept that you've aged and that you can't do those same activities that you used to do. So it's really emotionally, it's an emotionally charged experience. And that's often why people won't embark on it it in the first place. I want to normalize people asking for help when it comes to this kind of thing. I don't know anything about accounting. I don't have any issues contacting help for that kind of thing. And so if you are new to developing the skill, uh, realize that there's going to be a learning curve involved in it. Yes. Uh, I definitely understand with emotional attachment that we might have for things. I really like the concept of micro seasons in life too, you know, Mm -hmm. that we have to accept. Mm -hmm. I like that example with the baby clothes. Yeah. So people view adulthood like it's just, you're this one fixed object, right? People understand when you're growing up and the baby clothes, the kids items, it's a little easier to understand because physically they don't fit into them anymore. But then we expect when we turn 18, when we turn 20, that the things we have are just going to be the things that remain in our life forever. And I'm not promoting waste or planned obsolescence and all of that, you know, just rapid consumption and discarding. But I am promoting that the things in our life should be reflective of the person we are now or the person we're becoming very soon, the person we want to grow into. And so we're always looking around. I'm always changing my home environment to really reflect the season of life that I'm in. During the pandemic, I changed pretty much every single room in my house. I had to, I redefined the purpose of my daughter and I switched bedrooms. This used to be a guest bedroom that I turned into an office. My basement, I turned into a movement space so that I could move even if we were under lockdown. 
my living room previously was set up for visits and conversation is now more of a, a lounge movie area. As you can imagine, that's what we were doing a lot of. And so every single space had to change to reflect the life we were living in the moment and make it a more useful and joyful place to be. Patty, what are two and two, three actionable tips anyone can take today to, to organize themselves at home or at their office? Oh, there's so, so many. Really to begin and to pace yourself. People sometimes get fired up. They maybe watch a, a decluttering show, one of those you know home makeover shows, and they just kind of get aggressive about it and they go on a rampage with a garbage bag. But it's really much more about take slow down so that you can go fast. So I always am telling my clients that go slow so that you can go fast. So the first thing I have people do is imagine their ideal lifestyle. And I have them walk me through their home and paint a picture for me that if they could wave a magic wand and have their dream life inside the home that they're in right now, what would it look like? What would it sound like? What would it smell like? Who would be there? What would they be doing? And people are always describing for me experiences, their experience of being in their home, not the way it looks. So, so much of organizing information that's out there is about how to set things up aesthetically. It's much more about how you're going to experience your home environment. Oh, there would be a pot of sauce on the stove. And every Sunday I'd have my kids and the neighbors over and we'd be playing in the backyard and there would be music going. And in the morning I would light incense and open my windows. And that's what they're describing to me. And so when we have that really clear picture, when we're going through their stuff, it can be really hard to look at an object. You're like, you know, here's a calculator. I don't know. Do I need a calculator? And they kind of get paralyzed. It's a perfectly fine calculator. And then they go, well, let's go back to your vision. What is this space supposed to do for you? And they're like, oh yeah, this is my relaxation space. And so I don't want a calculator in that space. I want candles and music and a pillow and a really clean look in here. And then in my family room, I want right something totally different. So the actionable step there is to sit down and write that out. If you don't have a consultant or a coach that you're working with, you need to to document it yourself so that you can remind yourself when you're in the the thick of decision making when it comes to decluttering what your vision was. Or you could use something like a vision board or Pinterest to have a visual representation of what you want your life to be like. So that's the first step. The next step is to go category by category. That's one of the the rules of the KonMari method is that we're organizing or discarding by category and not by room. So ultimately you might be setting up different spaces as I was kind of describing, but when you are making decisions about what to keep, it's much easier to go by category, for example, clothing instead of closet, because it's much easier to make the decisions and it can take a lot of the overwhelm out of the process. So those are two things that I recommend as you're beginning your organizing journey. I love the, um, that you said that we, we should be thinking inwards. What's the experience we want to have? You know, whether like when we're working or at home or whatever we are organizing. I like that a lot. And then write that down. You mentioned vision board. I am, um, I did a little bit of homework, obviously, before this chat. And 
you're big into vision boards, <laughs> right? Patty? I am. I am. And I know that it's like, it's one of those life coach things too. <laughs> you know, people roll their eyes a little bit when they hear <laughs> vision board, but it, it's been a tool that's a, been a really important part of my life. Why is that? You know, that's really what drew me to the Kanmari method in the first place. I read about this woman who was helping people go through the objects in their home and they were only supposed to keep what sparked joy for them. And it, to me, it, it represented what I do when I'm making a vision board. I don't go in with an agenda. I don't have this list of goals. Like I want a six pack, of, you know, I want to type six pack and I want a million dollars and I want a fancy car and I want a fancy house. And then I go find the images. That's not how I create a vision board. I just get a stack of magazines and I just go through all the pictures and then whatever evokes a positive emotional response. That's how I used to describe it before I had the language of spark joy. So whatever sparks joy in me, and it's not an intellectual exercise. It's a sensation in my body. It's like a knowing it's a connection. And so when that rises up, I, I don't always know why I'm drawn to that image and I will just rip it out and then I'll have a little stack. And then I'm able to see in front of me, like, wow, there's a pattern here. This is really interesting. There's a lot of pictures of family or there's a lot of picture of like strong women or there's a lot of my current vision board has, has a lot of pictures of water in it, which is kind of fascinating. And I don't, it doesn't always make sense at the time. And then it, it's kind of like this compass. So then the, the vision board almost becomes like a map and I start living that life now. And it starts to shape the decisions that I make. And I start to have these experiences. I, I probably make a new vision board about once a year or anytime I'm going through a major life transition, I will make one or I'll make one for work. I'll make one for personal or anything that I want to focus on at that moment. And when I'm looking at it every day, I start to see the connection of oh, that happened. All these little moments have happened or they help me articulate more of what I want. I'm looking at my vision board right now. <laughs> I'll get it for you. I so, wasn't sure if I could ask you if I could see it. Like, yeah, okay. here's 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 one, right? So this is someone who's very bold. It says, go for it. For those of you listening, it's a picture of a woman in kind of a power pose. She's wearing a very tight, like Lycra suit. I've got this picture here of a couple and there's just something so sweet and so simple about it to me, which really makes me feel appreciation for my partner that I have right now and how I appreciate the the calm of that. They're just eating kind of takeout sushi at a table with a little balloon. It's nothing fancy or grandiose. There's this picture of a woman jumping into water and feeling really fun and carefree. Um, I will come back to this vision board. A lot of the words that I have on here, I use for copy in my marketing because it's really compelling to me. It's a super powerful tool in my life. And so much so that my vision boards have become sacred objects. I've had them laminated and scanned thinking, okay, I now have like 15 years worth of vision boards in my home. So it's real. this is really embarrassing. But in my basement, I was like, well, why don't I just hang them all up? So <laughs> I have it. My brother came in and he said, it looks like a motivational serial killer lives here. <laughs> just, I love that. Uh, <laughs> I love that. But it's really, I have to say, having these vision boards from that span of time, it's really cool to see that 
a lot of the desires that I have are consistent through my lifetime. Or if I see something on there that has been on there consistently, but I still haven't done, then I just kind of, I'm like, girl, get it together. Like glamping. Okay. I've always wanted to go glamping and never made it happen. And I made it happen for the first time last year with my daughter. And now that's our thing. So we've got two glamping trips planned. We're actually leaving tomorrow to go to uh, the Adirondacks to uh, have a little adventure together. So it really is practical in that way too, of just like, I've wanted to do this obviously for 15 years. Let's make it happen finally. That's amazing with your daughter, (laughs) Patty. I need to ask you, so the vision board, so a lot of people, they use it like the way you were describing it in the, in the beginning of your response that, well, they put like a picture of money and it's like $1 million. Yeah. It's like a picture of a car. And then they look at it every day and they're like, okay, mm-hmm. I, I hope to attract this in my life. But you use your vision board, it seems from a different perspective. It's I do. Like it seems yeah. like you want to attract experiences or feelings that you would like to experience more. I guess I feel the task of living your best life, which to me I define as really being fully expressed. I view human flourishing like it's our right. It's our birthright. It's just natural. Why wouldn't we flourish? Just like a little acorn has all the potential in it already to become grand. And so this work of becoming who you're supposed to become is not so much striving and working hard and grinding it out. It's more about peeling back all the layers and bullshit that's getting in the way. And so to me, there's this inner compass, there's this inner guide that's telling me where to go and I just need to listen to it. And when I'm vision boarding, it's, it's a way of calling that in and saying, where should I go next? That signal is that Joyce feeling. So when I'm with a client and we've got the pile of clothes on their bed, just like I've got the pile of magazines in a stack and they're going through their things. Sometimes they're left with nothing. There is nothing that sparks joy in that pile. And that means they need to go out and look and expose themselves to things that might evoke that. But sometimes there's things that have been in the back of the closet that they've neglected, but then they pull out this pair of hiking boots and they're like, I haven't used that in 20 years, but, and you could just see it in them. And you know, that's, that's a pull to go do more of that, which is why we don't use these arbitrary organizing rules like if you, if you haven't used it in six months it's got to go because maybe you haven't used it because you haven't allowed yourself to do that or you've forgotten who you are you've forgotten what you're supposed to do and so that's how I use decluttering and vision boarding to help help me connect with that inner compass yeah I um I don't like to set a milestone either that okay if you haven't used it for x amount of months you you should forget about it you read that often in magazines I don't know if you agree with me yeah. but when you read in fashion magazines like well if you haven't if you haven't used that shirt or that dress for a year just donate it or throw it away you know or sell it yeah I mean and that's just publishing right they need their yeah. like quick little thing and I've done some media spokesperson work so I know what they what they need but you know, there's always a bigger, a bigger answer to that. What, you know, what works for you? What's helpful? 
what's supporting the person that you're becoming? How does it feel to have this thing hanging around in your life? Does it feel like an obligation or does it feel like a tool that you can use? Does it feel, do you get excited about the thought of using it? Is it beautiful? Do you like looking at it? Sometimes I keep things in my home that, you know, when you live with other people and it's really about, again, this micro season thing of really embracing the season that you're in. And sometimes, yeah, do I, do I fantasize about having everything perfect in my house? Sure. But there's something really beautiful about being in this little micro season where my daughter has her little sneakers misplaced by the doorway and there's paint splotches on my floor in my kitchen because she just finished up a craft activity. You know, I have extra things in my drawers because she likes to use them. When I see those objects, instead of getting frustrated, I just feel like, oh, I need to soak this in because it's temporary and it's beautiful and it's of this moment. Yes. Patty, we spoke about you coaching people, navigating themselves through life. Through life. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I've heard you say is that you want people to achieve their goals using their alter ego. What's an alter ego for those that might not understand <laughs> what that is? There's two answers to that. The surface answer. An alter ego is a device to help you show up in a different way than you've been currently showing up. So Todd Herman has a book, The Alter Ego Effect, which is great. And I read it after I started using alter egos in my own life just to get a better understanding of it. But an alter ego, I'll I'll walk people through an exercise of kind of generally, how do you want to show up in the world? If you could be anyone, who would you want to become? When I did this exercise, what came out for me was a 75-year-old woman. I named her Sylvia. And Sylvia is just vibrant and really carefree. She's smart. Kids are fascinated by her. She always has all the patience in the world to stop for a kid and have a conversation or like share a little dance, a little twirl in the park. She's the kind of person who makes conversation with the checkout person at the grocery store. She's well-read. She's go- she goes swimming every day. She's got her her girl girlfriend. She wears one of those goofy swim caps with the flowers all over it. She rides a bike around town. You know, Sylvia, you can see her coming. But she also really enjoys her solitude and she's deeply intro- introspective. And so I have this character of Sylvia. And so when I'm in the moment, what Todd Herman calls a moment of impact. And I want to show up like Sylvia. I'll say, what would Sylvia do? And I'll do it. So for example, I'm learning how to swim. I'm taking swimming lessons and trying to get better at that. I want to become someone who swims at the beach. You know, I want to swim a mile in open water. That's one of my goals right now. And so when I go to the beach and I'm feeling a little intimidated because there's people there and I'm still a little nervous about swimming in open water. So I go, I only swim in like four feet of water with the little kids around me. And Patty would be embarrassed to do that because Patty is a little bit awkward at swimming, is a little bit self-conscious about, are people going to like laugh or point? Am I going to make a fool out of myself? But then in that moment I go, Sylvia wouldn't care. So I get to embody this character and show up fully. You can also create alter egos for different moments of impact. I have this generalized persona. I also, you know, you can use one for 
your role as a parent. And you can use someone that's already existed. Like, what would Mr. Rogers do right now? Mr. Rogers would be calm and patient and and help the child. Or if you're about to have a big sales presentation, what would uh, Slick Rick do, right? And you can kind of call in that persona so that you can show up and and become really who you're meant to become. But the, the bait and switch of this is really that the alter ego is really you. And this bullshit story that you've created of your current you, you don't have what it takes, or you're not strong enough, or you're not smart enough, or people wouldn't take you seriously in that way. The false story and the true story is really this character. So it's becoming, it's much more about becoming yourself. A lot of people use alter egos, like Beyonce famously uses Sasha Fierce to become who she's become. And then eventually you become it and you can, you can break up with the alter ego. So me wearing this toucan dress right now is a very Sylvia, (laughs) is a very Sylvia move. But I will share that I kind of discovered the power of this while I was at Disney World. How come? So I was going to Disney World with my family. And I was going to write like the minimalist guide to Disney World. I was planning on like, I'll just have like one little suitcase and I'll write, write about minimalist guide to Disney. And then I discovered this thing called Disney bounding where like, this, it sounds super weird, but these like John Stamos from Full House is like a famous Disney bounder with his wife. And you go to the parks and you dress up like a Disney character, but you're not wearing a costume because grownups aren't allowed to wear costumes in Disney World, but you're wearing like an outfit that kind of nods to the character. So if I were, if I were to dress like Minnie Mouse, I'd wear maybe like a red polka dot dress, but I'm not fully in costume. And so it was one of those, that sounds really fun kind of moments for me. And I was really so shocked at myself. And I was like, you know what, just go with it. You're going to Disney, have fun. And so I bought, brought all this clothing and like twice a day, we would do outfit changes. And I, my daughter, we were just having a blast doing this together. And I realized at the time, like Patty would never feel, I can't walk around in heels and a skirt. And that's not who I am. I'm kind of like a granola REI kind of mom. I don't dress like that. That's not, that's weird. So when I started to become Minnie Mouse, all of a sudden I was able to do things. I was able to hold myself in a different way when I was acting like Ariel or Cinderella or I played some villains too. I really got to become somebody different. And that taught me, like, I'm really a lot, there's a lot more to me than I realized. And I just was limiting myself because of how I viewed myself. And I came home from that trip, really changed and started to explore more of this alter ego stuff. Yeah. I love the the example with Beyonce. I was going to bring her up as an example, but thank you for doing that. I was going to bring up two examples, Beyonce and David Goggins. I know that you, you read his book oh, and, yes. and that you're a big, uh, big fan of his. And um, I mean, he created his own alter ego, you know, Goggins and fired millions of people around the world. What I like about his story is that he says uh, he's not special. He kind of, he created himself. And that's what I want all of us to realize is that we can create whoever we want to create want to create but it helps the the alter ego is just a device to help bridge the gap from who you are currently to who you want to become yeah 
Patty, when you work at the company or let's say you're an investor in the company, you work towards KPIs, key performance indicators. And these KPIs tell you how you're doing. You keep score compared to your big goal, but you have life KPIs. What is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I developed these uh, while I was in a job and it was a very data-driven, performance-driven organization, which is wonderful. You know, KPIs are really useful to help you focus on the right things so that you can start moving the business or the organization forward in the way that you want to. But I realized I could work 24 hours a day and really not achieve the goals that were set for me for the, for the company. So I, I said, well, where do I draw the line? At 20 hours, at 12 hours, at 15 hours, at eight hours? Like, when do I get to uh, kind of call it quits for the day and go to my life and deal with my life? And I thought, well, I know what it looks like to do a good job at work. I don't really know what it looks like to do a good job in my life. Because I had a lot of the trappings of a good life, like the, the vanity metrics, I call them. I was in a relationship. I had a, my kid was healthy and doing well. Um, I had a job that was, you know, had a, I had a big job title. I was working for an organization that was doing a lot of good in the world. So I had a lot of uh, kind of pride in that. I was living in a a nice town right outside of a big city, all the things like where you could check all the boxes, right? But why was I so miserable and so irritable and unhealthy physically in my body? Not in a, you know, I didn't have a diagnosis, but just kind of that low energy, um, overweight, you know, not looking vibrant. And so I made a list of when I'm 100 years old, looking back on my life, how will I know I've lived it well? And I thought about different areas of my life, like the movie of my life, it would be filled with friendship and new experiences. And I'd have this sense of inner peace, uh, mental health. I'd have some interesting stories to tell. I'd have, you know, an intimate life with a partner. And so that's kind of what that movie looked like. And so given those kind of key areas of my life, I defined a metric for each one. And it was not a perfect metric, a good enough metric, like meals with my family, visits with friends, new experiences, walks in nature. Um, I have, here, where's, I'm like looking at it. Pull it here's, out, Patty. Got, here's my little post-it note of my life KPIs. So when I am planning my week, these go on my agenda before anything else, because I didn't have a good week if I didn't do the things that I value. Just like you didn't have a good work week if you didn't get a new customer, if that's what you're tracking. So I don't really care what my bank account looks like. I don't really care if I have this company or don't. I mean, I do. I care about the impact that I'm having, but that's just kind of the assignment that I have at the moment. So nature walks, new experiences, dates, mom fun dates, we call, I call them, and friend visits. And then gut health is something that I'm taking care of and making sure to nurture every day as well. That really helps me. And it gives me a frame when I'm experiencing adversity, it's really helpful. When I'm experiencing challenge, I will ask myself, how does this impact my life KPIs? So at the beginning of pandemic, I said, well, taking more nature walks, this experience itself, having to live in lockdown, 
is a new experience. So check on that. I maintain my dates. We just did it a little bit differently. Mom fun dates. We, my daughter and I love to go to hotels. We love to go to New York City. We love to go to shows. So that really had to change. And I had to recreate mom fun dates at home, which is why I made a roller rink in my basement for us. Friend visits was hard. That's one that I'm feeling a little bit, you know, longing for. And so it's just, it's a marker. It's an indicator. So I can track when I'm, if I'm feeling off, it's a pretty good sign. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't hit the trails in a while. I need a little bit of nature time. And then I'm right back to feeling good and vibrant again. I love that, Patty. I did um, a similar exercise a couple of years ago where I was envisioning, okay, not a hundred years old, but I was like, okay, what if I'm, I'm 35 now when I'm 80? How many times would I have seen my my siblings, for example, mm-hmm. my father, mm-hmm. my parents-in-law? And mm-hmm. I looked back and I was really looking inwards like, oh, wow, since I value family so much, I will only see them like X amount of times because I only see them once per year. But that made me really question, you know, like my time, like where do I really allocate it? Because most of it is going towards the company, you know, that mm-hmm. I'm building. So I love those life KPIs. I came across um, a very successful entrepreneur, Jess Itzler, which I, mm-hmm. I know you know him as well. And I know I love how he promoted life buckets, that you have different buckets in life. And that corresponds with what you're saying, that, well, you need to value things that are, are personal, but also your health, because if you don't have your health, you can't do anything anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then family, so with your spouse or your partner, you know, your children, and then it's uh, hobbies, nature walks, which I'm getting into as well. I love that, <laughs> you know, uh, hikes and stuff like that. And then obviously your doesn't have to be business, but you know, your income, so to speak. That so you you have yeah. a roof and three meals per day, so to speak. Yeah. And when people start doing that or I think when they're contemplating reprioritizing the different areas of their life, there's a lot of fear. Well, my parents sometimes joke, they're like, well, some of us have to work for a living. And I'm like, I work for a living just because you see me out doing fun stuff or (laughs) maybe it seems like I don't work for a living because I really enjoy what I do. I would do if someone dropped a billion dollars into my bank account, my life would not change at all. I would still be doing all the things I'm doing. I might have a a personal chef, but (laughs) the rest of it would be pretty much the same. So when people start exploring this, there's a lot of, you know, that's not realistic. I can't just go out in the middle of the day and take a two-hour hike. And what I've found is just try it for 30 days and see what starts to happen. And it's really about managing your energy. A friend of mine wrote a book called... um, I'm like, why I can't remember the name of the book, but it's about, it's not about time management, it's about energy management. And so it's the little battery of me needs to be fully charged. And so the more things in my life that are making me feel alive, that are bringing me joy, it's giving me energy, even though I'm very active, engaged and busy, I'm busy with things that are giving me life, giving me energy. And I'm pretty ruthless about removing things that I find really draining and either outsourcing them or deleting them altogether. And these life KPI areas are like supercharge. They're like, that's how I go charge myself. One of my clients said, she described, she's, she says she's solar powered. 
And so my life KPIs are sort of my power source. So taking that time gives me energy to come back and deal with the things that I need to deal with, but also the power of constraints. You don't mess around. If you give yourself 12, 14 hours a day to work, you're not being productive all that time. You're not being smart. And so maybe I only have four or five hours a day that I'm actually working. So I better have high value work to work on and not waste my time on all these little things that ultimately don't matter. I could spend three hours tweaking the font on my website, or I can say, you know what, (laughs) it's good enough. And I'm going to move on with my life and get the nature walk in because that's ultimately what matters. And I'm not worried about someone not admiring me for my font choice. But that's what we do when we think we have to make it perfect all the time. My cat is saying hi. Thank you. Say hello back. Yeah. <laughs> Patty, I, I have a question regarding the 30 days. I found that interesting. But before that, I um, I wanted to ask, let's say like the people in the audience are all like, very ambitious. They want to grow. How can they identify their life KPIs in your opinion? Because that can be a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. So don't let it, you don't need to go on like a vision quest and <laughs> it doesn't need to take, you You kind of know. I did it back of the napkin on the train to work one day. I was like, I'm just curious, what would this look like? And I was inspired by Ben Franklin too. At the time, I was also participating in something called the Ben Franklin Circle. And Ben Franklin, when he was 21 years old, identified his 13 virtues. So I know a lot of your listeners are in that life stage. And and he said, well, what does it mean for me to live a virtuous life? And so he defined them, um, these 13 virtues, and he carried around a little notebook every day and asked himself, you know, what good shall I do today? And at the end of the day, what good did I do today? And he used a little, kind of like a little bullet journal. Um, You can search it and, and see exactly what he did. And he would just give himself a little check. Like, yeah, I was someone who practiced temperance today or order, or I exemplified the virtue of justice and he would just give him a little check. So those were his virtues. So I thought, well, what, what are mine? And ultimately it came down to these, these specific metrics that I identified. So the first step is to play the movie of your life in your mind's eye. And what does that movie look like if you were to sit and watch your life? And often you realize that the life story that you want to watch, it doesn't go like this person wanted something and they got it. That's not a very interesting story, but it's a story of they were really wanted something and they were willing to work hard and overcome adversity and say no to certain things. And the triumph is in the recovery and the resilience that you display throughout that life. And so there's a lot more meat to the story when these bad things are happening. So a good life doesn't mean an absence of challenge. So you play that movie in your mind's eye, and then you're going to identify some themes. And so maybe your film is a little bit more adventurous than mine. Maybe it's really about caring for people, or maybe it's about creating something that's never been created before. I don't know. Everyone's going to have a little bit of a different story. So you'll identify five buckets of your life, travel, sexual fulfillment, career fulfillment, intimacy, parenting, you know, what's that look like for you? 
And then once you identify those bigger buckets, coming up with a metric. And so this is not, it has to be something that you can track. Otherwise you can fool yourself and you're walking around. I'm a virtuous person. I, I'm outdoorsy. That's what I told myself. I'm outdoorsy. But that just because I have an REI membership doesn't mean I'm outdoorsy. Going outdoors is what makes me outdoorsy. So that's actually what I need to track. I like that. Okay. Thank you, Patty. You mentioned the 30 days. Is that something that you coach and advise your clients on? Like, okay, just try it for 30 days. And if you don't like it, just like forget about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, We practice 30-day self-care experiments. And so there's so much advice out there on what you should do. You know, you need to intermittent fasting. You need to do cold showers. You need to meditate. You need to have a gratitude journal. It's a little overwhelming. And if you're curious about something, if you're curious about what not eating sugar for 30 days might feel like, or if you're curious about what going to bed at nine o'clock would feel like, or waking up at 5 a.m. would feel like, just do it. Stop thinking about it and overanalyzing it. Just choose one new habit that you're curious about and try to implement it for 30 days. And I treat it like an experiment. You know, the hypothesis is that if I wake up at 5 a.m., I'm going to feel more productive and I'll, you know, early bird gets the worm kind of life. And so let's try that. Let's see what it's like. Okay, I did this and it was really challenging for me to wake up at 5 a.m. And that was information on its own. Okay, why was it challenging? Because I went to bed late. Okay, so try to go to bed earlier the next day. Try to go to bed earlier. And then I realized my life is designed in a way that going to bed earlier is really a challenge. And so then I wasn't sleeping enough. And then I found myself kind of deteriorating that month and really tired. So at the end of the 30 days, I said, forget it. I get to accept that I am not an early bird and I get to move on with my life. Whereas other things, like cold showers. I'm like, I don't know. I've heard this is beneficial. Let's try it. Life-changing, incredible, really surprisingly positive and, and really surprised at how much of an impact it's had. So we know these things. We spend all this time reading books and listening to podcasts and adding to our to-do list, all of these things. And people don't want to try it because they're afraid of what it means to commit to that practice. And if they were to drop the practice, there's some somewhat of a failure. Just try it for 30 days. And then at the end of the 30 days, you get to ask yourself, is this something I want to integrate into my life? Or is it something I want to release myself from the obligation of doing? One more comment on that though, is when I'm coaching people, initially they start out with a lot of the things that they have been told they should do. And then they start to try out self-care experiments that are more aligned with what they want to do. And that's really important. BJ Fogg, who wrote, he's the Stanford behaviorist, wrote Tiny Habits. One of the most important elements of habit forming is motivation. You have to want to do it. And so you have to have the trigger, the motivation, and the ability. And so when someone has the trigger and the ability, but they're not doing it, Then I'm having a conversation with my clients around, do do you even want to do that? And then they're like, no, I don't want to run. So I'm like, so don't. So what would you want to do? Hula hoop? Great. Hula hoop every day. Do whatever you want to do. 
So the experiments of the women who are in Cultivate Club with me, they, yeah, they start out with journaling maybe, but then one woman did a self-care experiment. She reads romance novels every morning at 6 a.m. to start her day. Someone else does dance parties. Someone else does candlelit yoga at night before bed. And so these, it's much more personal and really enhances their life. I think that's a healthy, healthy way to approach things, Patty. I think so. I mean, you have, I think we, we had one, one woman on the show, Lucin. She was on, on our show a few episodes ago and she, she, she created this um, system that she implements one habit per month. So one month it was like, okay, stop to eat sugar, you know, for a month. The second one was like, okay, I'm not going to drink alcohol for 30 days, you know. And what happened was she got used to that. So after a year, she had 12 new healthy habits in life. So two years, 24 new habits. I kind of, I love that. Yeah, yeah. So in Cultivate Club, we, uh, it's a year long experience. So when people sign up, they know that over the course of the year, we're going to hit a lot of the major life buckets. So each month has a different theme. So it's May right now. So our theme is creativity. Next month, we're focused on adventure. In uh, July, we'll be doing love and sex. In August, we're doing rest. And so each month, the theme gives us a different prompt. What would a self-care experiment look like to cultivate adventure? And so that might just look like, I'm going to bike to the grocery store instead of walk, or instead of drive, excuse me. Or I'm, I'm going to talk to a stranger every day. And that feels very adventurous, right? So, or it could be something bigger and more grand. So that's the whole idea. And sometimes, a lot of the times, these habits do get fully integrated into our lives and they, they stick around. And sometimes we, we get to release ourselves of the obligation of that thing and realize it's not for us. Yes, it's true, Patty. You mentioned morning routines. Okay, waking up at five, it didn't work for you. But then you mentioned also Benjamin Franklin that he was reviewing his virtuous or things that he aspired to be, right? Every every evening. Why do you think we're not speaking that often about evening routines? I don't know. I don't know. My evening routines are more... I struggle with routines in general. Let me just be honest. (laughs) Let me be honest with that. And I really believe in working with your natural way of working, like rigid routine. I, I feel like I, I am much more a cyclical person. I'll find that I'll have like a week I'm like this and a, another week I'm like that. But there are some things that really that do ground me. So I plan out weeks more so. I don't know There's why there's so much emphasis on the morning thing. But I do love looking back on my day and dealing with the reality of what's happened and having that be evidence to pull from versus starting my day and imagining what might happen. It's just more grounded in reality. So I'm looking at it and it's, I will scan my day at the end of the day. This is part of my routine. And it doesn't always look like I'm sitting down with a candle and a journal and doing this like 30 minute reflection exercise. It's really just brushing my teeth and I'm thinking about these daily review questions. So at the end of the day, I ask myself, what were the moments I was grateful for? And it's not, the gratitude question isn't like, oh, I'm grateful to be healthy. It's, I'm grateful that I could lift that box today that I had to lift. 
So it's really like specific events that I was grateful for. Or I'm, I'm grateful that I really enjoyed that big belly laugh with my daughter earlier. And then I will ask myself, when did I feel the most alive and really try to capture what those moments were, especially if there's something new that made me feel alive that I didn't know I had in me. And it's like, oh, you know, that kind of food or that kind of situation or that kind of book really made me feel alive. And then I asked myself, what made me feel drained? And then what were my shortcomings? And I just noticed with no judgment and self-compassion, like, yeah, I could have shown up better here and here. And I try to let myself observe that. And then I asked myself, what, what is, where's that going to take me tomorrow? How does that inform me tomorrow? But really once, now that I've done this exercise so consistently, it's not really like a one-time thing. It's just how I'm operating all the time. So I will be in the moment and feeling gratitude and will step outside of the moment and observe it and go, oh yeah, this is so great right now. And same thing with the aliveness. I'll catch myself in aliveness or in flow. I will catch myself feeling drained and I will notice shortcomings. And so right in the moment, I'm not like, oh, Patty, get it together. I go, all right, you could do next time you could be, you know, you'll get it next time. And it's more of a, like a, a friendly little pep talk kind of experience. And that's it. So it's just kind of constant daily calibration of my life so that I'm doing more of the things that make me feel alive and the things that drain me. I try to deal with right away. And a, a recent example of a, of a win there was doing homework with my daughter. I found very draining just because I don't know, I'm the mom, right? So she doesn't want to take direction from me in that way. And then we're getting frustrated with each other. And she's asking me to explain stuff that I don't really know how to explain. And then we're just both, it's like a frustration storm. And so I hired a babysitter slash tutor who's, 21. My daughter thinks she's the coolest. She comes over, they do homework together. They have inside jokes. They have a secret handshake. And then I'm upstairs kind of cleaning up from my day, getting settled. And I hear them laughing. And then I go down and homework is done. And my daughter and I just get to have a fun connected evening together. Sometimes we do a little bit of chores or cleanup, which is things I like to do. And there's just a lot more peace in this house and I have a lot more energy. So that just was a result of, all right, I see a pattern here with what's draining me. Let me deal with it and get it, get it removed from the situation. And it makes her feel more alive and I feel more alive as a result. So it's really, it's a practical exercise as well. Yes. Patty, you, you seem to be reading a lot of books and I know that you mentioned some, there are some behind you as well. Yeah. Can you name one or one or two books that have massively impacted your life? Oh man, where do I begin? Books are a really important part of my life. I'm reading constantly. A book that really woke me up was A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. And I bought it at the airport bookstore and cracked the book open for the first time while sitting in the most beautiful setting ever, Torrey Pines Park in, in San Diego. And it really changed my life, helping me understand this bigger picture of the observer and the way ego was playing out in my life, the way I was attached to certain narratives and story. And that was a while ago, and it, I still revisit it. It's one of those that is very crumbled and underlined and 
when I'm at the thrift store, I will buy extra copies and hand them out to people. That's the book that I think has had the most impact on my life. I'm scanning my bookshelf right now. Obviously, the life-changing magic of tidying up had an impact. <laughs> I think on so. Me. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. There's too many to even name. No, but I appreciate that. It's um, it's been really a pleasure to have you on the show, Patty. I I learned a lot, and I'm sure our audience did as well. And so many actionable tips to to really not only organize your your life but also organize your home and dig deep inside and how we can use our inner compass to live our best life so my deepest gratitude towards you thank you uh, thank you freddie kondo <laughs> <laughs> for for having me and it's wonderful the work that you're doing um helping people get out into the world and experience things because I used to work in student affairs and my graduate work once one season was in the career development center at the university. And so I would have these, you know, 18, 19 year old, 20 year old students looking at me and I don't know what my passion is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. And I was not that much older than them. I was like 23 <laughs> and I didn't really know how to answer them. And if I could go back, I would say just explore expose yourself. And in my coaching practice, my business is called Clear and Cultivate and clearing what no longer serves you, clearing what no longer belongs in your life. But the act of cultivation, you can't have the grand plan of I'm going to become the doctor, I'm going to become the CEO, I'm going to... But it's more about exposure and curiosity and following that. And when you reach something and you have an experience with it and it touches your soul, that's the inner compass that says keep going. And if your internships are just like 30-day self-care experiments of just go, see what it's like. Learn about the job, sure, but also learn about who you are in that job. What are the elements? What is it about this place that makes you feel alive? What is it about this place that makes you feel drained? Do you hate waking up at having to get to an office and wear a suit at 8 a.m.? Or do you want a place that's a little bit more carefree and flexible? Do you like having this kind of boss? Or do you like working on different kind of projects? Do you like constraints? Do you like freedom? There's just so much to learn and you're giving people the opportunity to actually do that, which is incredible. That's a really good tip. That's really good <laughs> advice. Thank you, Patty. Where can people find you to learn more about you? And where can they go to say hello to you on social media? Yeah, I'm at Patty Morrissey on Instagram. I don't post that much these days, but I do keep an eye on things and I, I check my DMs and all of that. Clear and Cultivate, you can find us at clearcultivate.com. Thank you, Patty. We're going to link to that so the, the audience can check it out. Thank you Thank again. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care. Thank you for listening to Fika with Rice. I hope you enjoyed the show. Who do you want to have on our show? Let us know by sending me an email at frederick at absoluteinternship.com. And before you go, if you like this conversation, don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube or Spotify to get to listen to more inspirational stories and life hacks. We we'll really appreciate it. See you next time and much gratitude for listening.